yes, we're in Daniel 5 today, um, and the title of today's message is The Writing on the Wall. Okay? Can anybody guess what story we're talking about? No. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so th- this is a phrase that was coined uh, 25 centuries ago, and we're still using it today. <laughs> um, does anyone know what it means when someone says the writing's on the wall? Yeah, say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I looked it up to get the official definition. So this is a little off, but close. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, when you say the writing's on the wall, it just means that there are clear signs that a situation is going to be very difficult or unpleasant. It's very obvious. Um, so just before we jump into the passage here, before we jump into the, the chapter that we're going to read together, um, there's a couple things that we should note. Belshazzar um, is the king that we're going to be talking about in this passage, which happens to be very close to Daniel's Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. So I just want to let you guys know, don't get confused, okay? There's Belteshazzar, which is Daniel's Babylonian name, then there's Belshazzar, who is the king in this chapter. Okay? We clear on that? Everybody? Okay. Also, in that culture, they did not have names for grandparents or grandchildren. They just said the father of them, uh, you know, uh, Belshazzar's father, or that's how they would say it. And, you know, we see in scripture, Jesus's father, they refer to David as Jesus's father, just because they're in the same family line, right? So they would refer to their relatives, a male relative in the same family line as their father. So it's Nebuchadnezzar, who we've been talking about up until this point, King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, This is his grandson, Belshazzar. Okay? We all up to speed? We all good? Okay. That's the backstory. Now I'm going to read Daniel 5, and we will jump in. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem, And the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance changed. And his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Now all the wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. 
Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now Daniel, now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not give the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be the third ruler in all the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a a kingdom, a majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. Whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he wishes." But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all of this. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven, that they have brought uh, the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine with them, and you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways You have not glorified. Then the fingers of the hand were sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the inscription that was written Mene, Mene, Tekel, Uparsin. This is the interpretation of each word Mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So... We start this chapter with this opening scene, right? 
This opening scene of this opulent party that's going on, the king and his thousand men, thousand of his lords were there together. And archaeologists have found that the huge hall where this uh, party was held was approximately 60 feet wide and 172 feet long, which is about the same size as the main section of the White House. Huge building. So he gathers a thousand of his lords together, and this party was scandalous. It was culturally inappropriate in that time for kings to drink in excess, even in private. Yet Belshazzar drank in a public manner that would have been unbelievable at the time. Not only that, but women were present. At these sorts of parties, the king and his men, the king and his leaders, women were never invited. But the women's presence indicate a clear sexual overtone to the whole evening. It was a night of showy, drunken revelry that would put even the most over-the-top frat party to shame. And we don't see Daniel at this time. Where is he? Where is Daniel at this time? Well, we know from extra-biblical sources, historical documents, that after Nebuchadnezzar had died, everyone in his council, all of his ministers, which Daniel would be included in that, were sent away. Uh, they didn't serve future kings, so they, uh, Daniel was not around. He was banished, and uh, he faded into obscurity in Babylon, which means that Daniel, he, again, he was not at this party. Just like Daniel, as people of God, we should not find ourselves in such a place. We should avoid this type of environment. Daniel wasn't found anywhere near it. I once heard about this pastor who... Um, who went to clubs in New York at 3 a.m. To, uh, to minister to the people there on a regular occasion. At least that's what he told people. And uh, maybe it started out innocently, but over time it came out that he was cheating on his wife. And uh, to, to no shock of, of anyone who's got eyes and ears, <laughs> um, these types of environments are obviously no place for a person of God. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So what does this mean for us? It means run for your life. <laughs> it means run for your life. Go to any length to get away from it. Jesus says, if, if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. Like, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and get rid of it. This is, it's a serious thing. So as all of this is going on, I'm not going to get too specific um, with the kids in the room of the, the women and everything, but as this party's going on, there's drinking, there's women around, all of this is happening. As if this wasn't devious enough, um, what does Belshazzar do next? What does he do next? Well, in Daniel 5.2, we see that while he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. That word vessel in Aramaic translates to vessel or utensil, so they were probably just cups that were used in some ceremonial sacrifice within the uh, temple in Jerusalem that were now being used for them to get drunk at this party. You know what other thing is referred to as vessels in Scripture? Can anyone think? We are. Yeah, we are. We are referred to vessel, as vessels of the Lord in Scripture all throughout. The vessels which once in this 
story in Daniel were used to glorify the Lord were being used as an act of idolatry. And I wonder, um, as the Lord's vessels, are we being used in one moment to worship Him and in another moment to worship another, maybe even worship ourselves? Do we attend parties like this because it's a good time and we don't want to miss out and put ourselves in sin's way? We are called vessels multiple times in Scripture. I'll just share two of them. An example in uh, 2 Timothy 2.21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified or set apart and used for the master prepared for every good work. Romans 9.20-21, this is the potter and the clay. But indeed, a man who, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay for the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So are we as vessels of the Lord allowing ourselves to be used as vessels of worship maybe in one moment and then vessels of idolatry in another? 1 Corinthians 10 instructs us to flee idolatry. A little further down in that chapter, This verse comes in, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. This passage warns us that we cannot be used for God's will and for the devil's will in the same breath. We will be used, we can only be used for one, right? So if we're being used as an instrument of the devil, we can't be used as an instrument of God. I equate this to when I'm changing the oil in my car and I've got... um, a rag there, and I'm mopping up the oil that's coming out of the oil pan. And um, then I try to take that same rag and go clean the windows right after with it, right? That's just not going to work. In Scripture, we believers are meant to be set apart for the work of the Lord. We're, meant to be, we're not meant to be intermixed with the rest, but set apart for the Lord to do His good work. Deuteronomy 14.2, You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God. And he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. So are we, again, are we vessels used in one moment to glorify God, maybe paying lip service to him while we're in church here, and then in another moment outside these walls dishonoring him with our actions and words? Obviously, we know we should not be vessels that do both, and we can see clearly in 1 Corinthians 10 that not only should we should not, but we cannot be used as both. That means that our praise and our worship that may be rendered right here could be rendered meaningless as a result of our actions out there. Belshazzar brought these items from the temple in Jerusalem, to use to pay homage to their god, Bel. He did what his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had done, like grandfather, like grandson. Is it possible that Belshazzar too had heard the prophecy of his grandfather about their kingdom ending? Is it possible that in all his pride and revelry, he had in his mind to mock God, the God of Israel, by parading in the articles from their temple again? Declaring the same old thing his grandfather had proclaimed, I'm king of the world, who are you to tell me that my kingdom will end? See, Belshazzar lived in the most prosperous city in the world. The most prosperous city in the world at that time. 
with walls, as we learned from Jeremy last week, that were 350 feet high. They were 87 feet thick, surrounding this massive metropolis of Babylon. Scholars say that they had enough food, water, and provisions to last them 20 years within those walls. So enemy, enemies of theirs knew that they could not besiege the city. They could not just cut off the resources and wait them out. They knew that they could not do that. Truly an impregnable city, and the king acted like it. <laughs> he was a king absolutely confident of his security. He was raised in this city, and he was now king of it. His attitude reminds us so much of his grandfather's words in Daniel chapter 4 that we talked about last week, Daniel 4, 28-30, all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar, and at the end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon, and the king spoke, saying, Is this not great Babylon, that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power, and for the honor of my majesty? This evening that we're talking about right here, this evening of this party, had been predicted long before it took place. About 40 to 45 years prior, Jeremiah the prophet had predicted all that would happen to Babylon on that night. This is what it says in Jeremiah 51 through 3. The word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 2. Declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim and do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken. Bel is shamed. Their God, Bel is shamed. Merodach is broken in pieces and her idols are humiliated. Her images are broken in pieces. For out of the north, a nation comes against her, which shall make her land desolate and no one shall dwell therein. They shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast. So this fits perfectly with Daniel 2, right? This, this prophecy about the statue, where each piece of the statue was a different kingdom that would come after Babylon was finished. And what's next, right after Babylon, who's the head, the shoulders and the chest, right? That's the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, let's put up this map here. So Babylon's down here. What's directly to the north? What was just prophesied? Just prophesied. The Medo-Persian Empire right here. Persian media right there. Right, wrapping around right to the north. Coming right in. Just like Jeremiah had prophesied. So we know exactly how this event played out. Jeremiah had predicted it exactly. According to the writings of Greek historian Herodotus... Cyrus the Great knew he could not capture the city by sheer force or besiege the city and wait for them to run out of resources. So he decided to do something drastic. He decided to divert the Euphrates River. Let's throw up the next image. This one we showed last week. Jeremy showed it last week. The Euphrates River running right through this massive city of Babylon. And so what happened, Cyrus the Great commanded half of his army to come down here on the south and half of his army up here in the north. And what he told them is when they were diverting the water as it was flowing down, they diverted it off. And so what he told this army down here is he said, when the water gets low enough for you to be able to walk through it, 
then you come into the city and we'll come into the city and we'll take it over. So I want you to imagine this climax going on in this evening. The music is intensifying, right? The scene is flashing back and forth between the royal party of this oblivious king, Belshazzar, as he gulps back another drink of wine with women all around him. And the scene changes, and then there's the Persian army who had built their diversion, and they're, they're attacking from both sides, in which the Euphrates once ran into the city walls, waiting for the moment to strike the enemy king and take over the great, greatest nation in the world at the time. That's what's happening in this chapter. As Belshazzar uses the holy vessels of God to worship his pagan deities, God was in the process of exacting his judgment on him that would shock the world. It's a chilling moment. Jeremiah 51, 57 um, predicts how Babylon would be defeated. I will make her officials and wise men drunk, her governors, officers, and warriors as well, and they will sleep forever and not awake declares the king whose name is the Lord Almighty. Jeremiah had predicted that the officials and all the, uh, the leaders of Babylon would be drunk and that they would sleep or be totally unaware through their whole demise. Jeremiah also predicts that the way, uh, another way that they would defeat the city. Jeremiah 51, 36-37 says, Therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will plead your case and take vengeance on you or for you. I will dry up your city and make her springs dry. That's what they were doing, diverting the, diverting the Euphrates, drying up their sea. Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment and a hissing without an inhabitant. So at the moment that Jeremiah is predicting this, is prophesying this, um, that the Lord has given him, Babylon is on the rise. They are defeating nation after nation after nation, and they are taking over the world. And so Jeremiah, to predict this, would not have just been like, oh, I I think they're going to be ruined in this specific way. It would have been a very bold prediction. So it says there'll be a dwelling place for jackals, an astonishment, a hissing without an inhabitant. This would be like predicting that San Francisco would turn into an uninhabitable ruin. Just, can you imagine that? (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Yeah, we're here. Okay. So, (laughs) So Babylon was a city that no one thought could be taken, right? The 350... Foot high walls, the 80 foot thick walls. Um, they had enough food and provisions for 20 years, as we talked about. Truly an impenetrable fortress. And at this moment, at the height of Belshazzar's pride and arrogance, something happens that sucks the oxygen out of the room. Daniel 5 5 to 6 says, In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, Then the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened, and his knees knocked against each other. I thought it was strange wording to say uh, that his hips were loosened, so I did a little bit of research just for fun. And uh, in the King James Version, it says the joints of his loins were loosened. 
I don't want to be too graphic here, but uh, he probably needed to change his shorts after. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, are there kids in the room? If you're a kid, can you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Cool. I have a question for you, okay? Eyes up here. You guys good? Okay. So have you ever done something really bad and you were so nervous that when you got caught, you would find out what your punishment would be? Like, did you ever do something really bad and you just didn't want your parents to find out? Is any, anyone? No one? You don't want them to find out right now? Oh, no. Okay. All right. Well, smart to not raise your hand, I guess. It's trying to catch them. Trying to help you, parents. Anyway. <laughs> but I've been there before, right? <laughs> you, do, you do something you know you shouldn't have, and you know you're caught, and there's this physical reaction, right? Your stomach is just turning. So Belshazzar... Um, he's in this moment, right? And he sees the writing on the wall and he's just gone white. And so he sends a command for his men. Daniel 5, 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So when these men saw these writings on the wall, they didn't know what to make of it. After they had exhausted all their human efforts, right, the same ones that his grandfather had, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, we're tired of talking about it already. I mean, the amount of times that they call these people in and they can't do anything, you'd think they would learn. <laughs> so then they turned to God to make sense of it, right? At the prompting of Belshazzar's mom, he calls in Daniel. His mother says in verse 11, There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Inasmuch as, the ex, as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpretation of dreams, Solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. Dr. David Jeremiah says, Today the secular wise men cannot know the things of the Spirit of God, but when advice is asked, that's where he goes. He goes directly to God, right? When the world can't explain what they're faced with, they turn to God to have their questions answered. Daniel, when he speaks, comes across pretty unfriendly, right? He's called in uh, into this party, and he sees what Belshazzar is doing, and he's like, oh my goodness, this guy. Anyway, Daniel 5.7, let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writings to the king, and make known to him the interpretation. So he tells the king to keep his gifts. And Daniel, um, what's interesting is that Daniel, when he was in the service of Nebuchadnezzar, he actually, we, see, we saw last week that he actually grew to like Nebuchadnezzar. He had a fondness for him. But clearly he did not have the same fondness for Belshazzar, <laughs> who was blaspheming God openly and in front of everyone. He had no fondness for him, and Daniel wasn't interested in a single bribe that he had. So when Daniel was brought in, what does he say? Well, he was there to um, interpret this writing on the wall, right? But he doesn't do that first. He lets him wait. And he, he tells Belshazzar a little family history first. 
He didn't ask for a family history lesson, but Daniel gives it to him anyway. So here we go. He, he's saying to Belshazzar, my God humbled your forefathers when they had the same attitude as you, and he will do the same to you. Daniel then ends his monologue by saying, although you knew all of this, although you knew all of this, even though you knew, you knew what God had done in the past, you had seen what he had done in Nebuchadnezzar, your grandfather, you had seen all of these testimonies about what God had done, and even though you knew, you were still disobedient. And I pray that none of us fall into that boat. The writings on the wall were a profound judgment against him for this very reason, because he knew, because he saw what God had done and he knew what God had done. He had been told what God had done and yet he did not humble himself and repent. So the writings on the wall, mene mene tekel uparsin, mene mene, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. So God set the number of days that Babylon would rule and it's over. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. In 1 Samuel 2.3, it says, Talk no more very, ever, so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him our actions are weighed. They're weighed. He had been weighed in the balances and found wanting. One day, each one of us will stand before the Lord, each person in this room. Each one of us will stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives. And each one of us, without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be in the same position as Belshazzar. We would be, he would weigh the scales and we would be found wanting. The last word in that statement, Paris or Parson, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. So to everyone's surprise, at the end of this chapter, Belshazzar follows through on his promise and he gives Daniel all the gifts that he had promised him. And um, I think maybe it was a last-ditch effort for Belshazzar. I think maybe it was a last-ditch effort for him to say, um, I'll just give this guy whatever, whatever I promised him so that hopefully God won't pronounce the judgment that he has given me. Then uh, Daniel 5.30 says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So God's judgment against him was carried out that very night. He could have been thinking that this would be just like it was for his grandfather. His grandfather was given a dream about his downfall and uh, given a chance to repent, and God gave him 12 months, right? Gave him 12 months and so I think maybe Belshazzar was thinking the same thing. I think maybe he was thinking, I'm sure I'll be afforded the same thing. I'll ha I have some time. I don't need to repent right now. I've got time. I'll keep doing my thing. Every moment, every one of us will have a moment like Belshazzar when he saw the writings on the wall. <laughs> we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And maybe you're sitting here now and you're thinking, I don't need to repent right now. I've got more time. I'm just going to live my way a bit longer. I've got more time in my life. When I'm older and I get closer to death, maybe I'll repent then. You do not want to find yourself at the judgment seat of Christ when God looks at the scales and you are found wanting. Belshazzar 
might have thought, if I keep my word and honor this man of God, maybe that'll be my good deed. Maybe I'll hang on to that good deed and it'll keep me from experiencing the judgment that's been pronounced against me. Not the case. Not the case. Our good deeds have nothing to do with our salvation. It's a very popular thing to believe. Oh, if I just do enough good to outweigh the bad that I've done, then I will get into the afterlife. I'll get into heaven, whatever it is. That is not how it works. (laughs) We are under the curse of death as a human race. The only thing to relieve that curse and to balance the scales is to accept the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus in our place. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not a matter of doing enough good to outweigh the bad. It's a matter of guilt because of our sin, and the wages of that sin is death. The punishment we deserve for our sin is death, and we must accept the pardoning of that sin that Jesus offers 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do not wait. Don't play fast and loose with your eternity. The time to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus is right now. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's very simple. All you have to do is acknowledge your guilt before him. All you have to do is acknowledge, I have sinned before you, Jesus. I have sinned against you. And I need you to save me. See, God is the judge, and we are on trial in this situation. We are on trial. And Jesus is over there, and he he has offered, and he has given himself to take on the penalty of our sin, and we need to accept it. Otherwise, we will experience the punishment of our own sin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you provided a way through your Son, Jesus, that he, that he died on the cross and that he gave us a way that we can take on his perfect sacrifice for ourselves. Lord, we are sinners, each and every one of us. Each and every one of us have wronged you. Help us to be able to admit that and fall on the mercy of your grace. And trust in you. And Lord, for those of us who have treated our bodies and treated ourselves as vessels that are being used for worldly things and for trying to use it for godly things as well, Lord, just convict us. Show us exactly what we need to address in our lives. God, you do not have that for us. We can't hope to get our windows clean with using a dirty old oil rag. Lord, so we just pray that you will work in our hearts Holy Spirit, minister to each person here. Highlight things in our lives that we just need to change and then help us to reach out to a friend. Help us to reach out to somebody that we can overcome it with. In Jesus' name, amen.